morning, everyone. It's great to be here. Thank you for having um, me and Rachel and the girls. It's great to it's great to be here, and it's good to be here at such an exciting time. Here, uh, such exciting news. Uh, looks like you need it. This new building, and uh, so it's uh, it, it really is quite exciting. I uh, I come from Lurgan. Uh, I live in Moira now, which. Uh, Sort of upper Lurgan, and uh, we—it's—it's—it's uh, it's, it's, uh, a church I help lead. There, Emmanuel, as Dave said, and they also help lead the 24/7 prayer movement here in Ireland. And I spoke a little bit about that a few years ago when I was here one evening. But uh, I just want to maybe uh, open your eyes a little bit to to what some of the things that are going on through that, and then just uh, hopefully move into just some thoughts that I can encourage you with this morning. Um, the 24-7 prayer movement, we all often call it the accidental prayer movement because none of us really thought we were that good at praying. We never uh, would ever have envisaged that we would have been leading a prayer movement, but there were a bunch of activists, really, uh, that really were stupid enough to think that they could maybe change the world. Um, just got really found out by the presence of God and, and, uh, and realized that we were really poor praying and realized that at the same time God really wanted to do something in a generation to turn the tide, to turn the tide of, of darkness that was seen all around us. And so uh, about 15 years ago now, uh, in the south coast of England, a couple of guys got together in a church, and uh, inspired by the Moravians in the 17th, 18th century, who were a bunch of peasants, really, who uh, found Jesus and started to pray night and day, 24 men and 24 women signed up night and day, and they prayed, and they started to pray, and they prayed. They reckon that prayer meeting lasted for 100 years, and uh, which is rather long. Uh, and <laughs> some of us think an art midweek's long, don't we? But this this prayer meeting lasted for uh, uh, 100 uh, 100 years, and, and and they reckon was the catalyst for the Great Awakenings for Wesley and Whitfield and Finney and and the Great Mission movement that sprung out of those. Um, revivals and and so they thought if they could do it for a hundred years maybe we could give it a go for a month and uh, they had a prayer space at the back of the church they opened it up to all forms of prayer creativity and people were writing prayers and painting prayers and uh, just just a space for people to be alone with God and uh, they had a rota people signed up night and day to pray and they prayed for a month and that became month became three months and after three months, really, uh, just at the same time of the internet was really kicking in, people started to connect over it, and prayer rooms just started to emerge all over, all over the place and all over the world. And, and so this thing that started for a month is now just about on its 15th year. And all of a sudden, it doesn't feel as big a deal to maybe be part of a prayer movement that could last for 50 years, or to, to be part of something that might outlive us, something that we, we could pass on. And, uh, and in those 15 years that we celebrate them this year, we, we know of 11,000 different prayer rooms that have happened in over 100 different nations all over the world. And that's probably a tenth of what we actually know because most people that do prayer rooms don't register them. And, uh, and so some incredible things have happened. And as we have prayed, we, we often use language like as we, as we become intimate with the Father, we, we get his heart. We get to know somebody, we get to know their heart, and his heart is for the poor and for the lost. 
and for the world that he loves. And so intimacy with God leads to involvement with the world. And so all forms of mission have sprung out of many of these prayer rooms. And we have what we call boiler rooms, or which are little small church plants, really, which are missional communities based on rhythms of prayer with a real outward focus in some of the darkest places of the world. And so we've 35 different boiler rooms across the world in places like South Africa amongst the, the gangs in Cape Town, uh, in Macedonia amongst the Roma community, in Ibiza uh, amongst uh, sort of Western youth where they go on holidays. And we just see the most incredible things that are happening. We've one here now in West Belfast right on the Peace Line we're just seeing God do incredible things. Over the last number of years, a, a new initiative, Prayer Spaces in Schools, has, taken, um, has been taken on, where teachers and youth workers are opening up uh, classrooms for prayer spaces, just creative, interactive ways to engage with God. And they reckon in the last four years, half a million young people have been in a prayer space, most of whom would never have been in church, and are writing the most honest, raw, passionate prayers to God. We've just written a prayer spaces in prisons course that they reckon are going to rule out now around all the prisons in the UK. Every inmate when he comes into a prison now will have a, a chance to go through prayer spaces in prisons. And, and uh, we've just seen wonderful things happening. Justin Welby, the New Archbishop, who's a wonderful man of God, has uh, asked us to lead the procession to his enthronement. Um, a year and a half ago, which was a pretty big deal, because half the time we don't really know what we're doing. And, uh, and, and we got to lead in four or five different cathedrals around the UK, uh, prayer days on the build-up to the day that he was enthroned, because he wants prayer and the presence of God to be at the very centre of all that he's doing. So, so wonderful things are happening. Our connections in the Middle East, you know, we, we just prayed for it there. We, we just heard last year of ISIS workers walking into meetings, prayer times, and just seeing Jesus. Seeing Jesus. And just surrendering themselves to Jesus, taking down their armor, handing over their guns. Heard one story recently of 300 Muslims having the same dream of Jesus on the same night. All the stuff the news doesn't tell us. And when we look around the world and we, as we watch the news, we get a narrative in our minds. It's really bleak, isn't it? And really quite depressing. And yet underneath, God is doing something. God is stirring his church. It's quite subversive, but it's happening. And, uh, and it's wonderful to behold some of the biggest prayer gatherings in the world are happening in Egypt. The fastest growing church in the, movement, in, in the world at the moment, I reckon, is in Iran. And it's all being birthed out of a place of prayer. In Ireland, we, we know of 200 different prayer rooms that happened all over this land last year. 70 of them were within the down in Dromore Diocese in the Anglican Church. They decided, Bishop Harl told, told them he wanted them all praying all, all year. Every single parish had to pray last year, night and day, for either three, five, or seven days. And so last year in Ireland, somebody was praying every minute of every day in 2015. In HDB, uh, Holy Trinity Brompton, where Alpha comes from, they, they have a permanent prayer space there now, praying night and day. There's certain times in the year where you can't actually get a space for two months. So we don't have to go to South Korea now to see night and day prayer. God is, is stirring his church, and we have to discern the times and lean into the hope that God is, 
is doing great things. And it, it seems that even in our own land where we're used to a narrative that's the same old one that we're listening to, particularly politically. And as we deal with the kind of recession economically and some of the depression that that's brought, it seems like we have a land that's hungry and thirsty. And while we can, and rightly so, sometimes get a little bit depressed by it all, for the church it's an incredible opportunity because everything else hasn't worked. Everything else hasn't brought the answers. And there seems to be something that's happening across the denominational spectrum, I should say, that is hungry and thirsty for the reign of God and his presence, the dry and thirsty hearts. And so it never ceases to amaze us in 24-7 the way God keeps pulling us back into his presence. It never ceases to amaze me that me who wants to kind of get out there and do the stuff, it's like a bit like, a, a, it's a bit like one of those bungee runs. Every time I kind of run, <laughs> the crowd will go and do something, which is important. I find that the Lord just pulls me back into this place where I center myself in him. And it seems that God seemed, would, would want to keep reminding me and us in 24-7 prayer that the vision really is Jesus, that it is really all about him. Joy Dawson says, anything not born in prayer is born in pride. And the more I live, the more I re realize that that's probably quite true because I know myself too well. And even in the, in the, in the environment and the context of church, often my own humanity gets the better of me. Um, but when I'm disciplined around a rhythm of prayer around before Jesus and remember it's all about him, things start to change in my life. And so for all the glitz and glamour that even comes in the contemporary church today, where the fruit is and where the fruit that will last is will come out of an atmosphere and a posture of prayer. And, uh, and it seems to be what God's doing around the world today. It seems to be that God is is reprioritizing his presence in his church. I think he wants his bride back. I think, he, I think he, when we look around the world, anywhere where there's life, anywhere there is a hub of life where we, where we see radical discipleship, where we see mission that's really making a difference, where we see the supernatural breaking through, it's, it's, it's usually birthed out of a prioritization of the presence of God. And, and the most fruitful places of kingdom initiatives will be in prayer but then that shouldn't surprise us but it does and I help lead a prayer movement and it still surprises me sometimes I just don't get it but the reality is it shouldn't really because Jesus was pretty forthright with it when he said my house shall be called a house of prayer and he said without me you can do nothing and and I'm the vine and you are the branches so so it shouldn't really surprise us, but often it does. We were sitting as a staff um, just at the start of this year, and we were talking with some of our elders about just reflecting in last year and some of the great things that were going on. And some of our guys were talking about uh, different environments that they felt just were really good last year. And numbers had went up in some of our youth gatherings, and the sense of God's presence felt stronger. Some of our Bible study guys were saying, yeah, there was just something different last year. And we reflected that you did an extra, we, we've um, put on an extra service on Sunday mornings and that's went well and our giving is up and like there's lots of things that we need to improve and all of that too but there was just a general sense of and then one of our younger staff members she was like well we did kind of pray more last year didn't we we had different prayer initiatives we did 40 days of night and day prayer at Lent and we've a new permanent prayer space and all of a sudden you're like oh yeah yeah there's, we've been praying 
We've been centering all this before God, but without me, you can do nothing. And, um, and I think it's all because of, I, I think because we, we sometimes just have to come back to the very heart of it all, don't we? Because for God, it's always been about encounter. It's never stopped being about encounter. It's always been about being with him. But the problem is the principle of encountering God, of looking on his face for the church in general today has almost become so far down the list of priorities of everything else that needs to get done that if God actually does show up, we're not even that sure what to do. But it's never stopped being about that for him. That's what the Father longs for. Let me give you an example of what might happen. I, th- I think we, we just witnessed a wee window of it in our church a couple of months ago. I was speaking, we were doing a theme on sons and daughters and just looking at the father heart of God, how he loves his children and how we live out of sonship through Jesus. And, and this guy came up to me, we were talking about the family of God because we're sons and daughters, we're brothers and sisters. And this guy came up to me at the end and he said, I've never known that. And I'm just really, really confused and I'm really depressed and I feel like I need you to pray for me. I feel like I need, he actually said, I feel like I need delivered from the pain that's in my life and the hurt that's in my life. He went on to describe how he's got this incredible pain the whole way down his left side and he was up in the middle of the night praying for, crying out for release or healing and pain in so many ways. And and, um, I didn't really know what to do because this guy was desperate. So I was like, God, you've got to help me here as I... As I pray for this guy, and uh, he went on to describe how there was felt there was unforgiveness in his heart. His parents had pretty much given him up. He lived through homes, been beaten up a lot in those homes, and all that kind of stuff was going on. And I was it was pretty intense. And, and so uh, my uncle, who helps lead the church with me, he was kind of walking around. He says, "Will you, Phil, will you come and pray with us as we pray for this guy?" So, so we started to pray and trying to get a sense: was there some stuff we needed to pray through? Because he'd been quite honest about his life. And then um, Phil had this sense that this guy just never really understood the love of the Father. And so he just said, I just want to say to you that you're worthy of the love of the Father. And I'm a, I'm a father, and, and I want to say that I'm, I'm sorry on behalf of the fathers for, for you not knowing that. And if you don't mind, he says, I would love, if it's okay with you and you're comfortable, if, I'd love just to show, show you that, just in an act, if that's okay. And so very simply, Phil just just held this guy about the same age as me. He just, he just held him. And, and this guy just started to weep and weep and weep and weep. And because uh, he was encountering the presence of God, he was encountering the Father. And then, and then as, as he, as he kind of stepped back from the embrace, I actually, I've never seen this before, but I actually witnessed or heard a, a click. He stepped back like this and just click, and and then he just was. He's uh, like, I, I can't, I couldn't do this this morning. That pain's away. I feel like totally, totally free down this this whole side. This smile came on his face, and he started to talk. And and then I was trying to get him plugged into a few things afterwards. And we'd we'd asked and encouraged him to pray, and he had prayed just before we had prayed for him. And I said to him, How long have you been a? a, a Christian for anyway, like when when did you come to faith? And he said when, and I said yeah yeah when. He says oh, I think I just did, and uh, and just in that moment of encountering God, 
Somebody saved, set free, healed, bound up with pain, bound up with rejection. But when, the, when we learn how to, as people, and we learn how to, as churches, host the presence of God, those are the, the kind of things I think that can happen. I'm not saying it's always like that, but it'd be great if it happened a bit more, wouldn't it? Because it's never stopped being about encounter. The God that we love and serve, the Trinity, Trinitarian God, the three in one is in himself. He's encounter. They're encountering one another, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in free-flowing love and communion. They're ascribing worth to one another in the eternal dance. He is the God of encounter who creates people in his image, his image birds, with a desire to encounter. We're created from love and for love. We're created to reflect the God of encounter. That's why we even desire it as we talk about it today. St. Augustine taught us, didn't he, when he said our hearts are, you've made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in thee. And it's the very heart of our story. It's not just like one bit. It's the very DNA of the whole narrative that we have in the Bible. It runs right through the story. We see it in the Garden of Eden where God walks with man in the cool of the day. He's not staying up in heaven shouting down. He's encountering mankind. We see it in the tabernacle when he says, build for me a house so that I may dwell in the midst of my people. And we see within the tabernacle the different furniture within it, that this continual, perpetual sense of wanting to be with his people. We see it with the children of Israel as he journeys with them. And then we see it during the, the reign of the kingdom of Israel where the Ark of the Covenant needed to be central because it was in this place where God's presence was that there would be success and blessing for the people. It has always been about encounter. And then we see it in Jesus when he comes and he, we're told that he tabernacles himself amongst us, that he, 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 he pitches his tent amongst us, he lives amongst us, he becomes flesh because he, he doesn't want to just stay up there. He, he wants to come and demonstrate his love to us. He wants to come and encounter the ones that he loves. And then we see it in the writings of Paul, when he tells us because of what Jesus has done in his death and his resurrection that the Holy Spirit would come and live in us and we now would become the tabernacles, the temples of God. My house shall be called a house of prayer. And so right now sitting in your seat is the house of God. Right now sitting in your pew is Christ the hope of glory. Right now sitting in your seat is a, is a temple of the God who wants to encounter humanity. This is the very essence of our story. He's always wanted us. Why? Because he loves us. And, and also because he wants through us for his dream for the world to come true. Through us, his living tents. And so I just have a sense this morning as I was thinking and praying about it, that out of these 40 days of prayer, I suppose I just wanted to encourage you to just, just keep doing what you've been doing, really. Because sometimes, I don't know what you find, but when I do these seasons of prayer when I really need direction and I really need to hear from God, often I'll, I'll get that sense from, of direction. But normally what I hear louder from the Lord above all the wee glimpses of the future and the wisdom that I feel I need for decisions that I'm seeking God about, often the loudest whisper from the Lord is this. I've, I've just got you where I want you. You just, you just write where I've always wanted you to be. 
It's, it's usually something along those lines. It's usually that that comes to me louder and clearer than anything else. And just for the last five minutes or so, I just want to leave you with some points around a really significant encounter in the Bible. And I know you've been doing this little mini-series, Conversation and Encounter. And I think one of the most intense encounters and the most beautiful encounters in the Bible happened between Moses and God. And let me just tell you really quickly, and then we're going to read the Scriptures. Just before we get to this passage that we're going to read, I'm just going to leave you with these thoughts. We, we, we hopefully know the story. Mo Moses has led the people out of Egypt. They're in the wilderness. He's gone up the mountain. God has come down in power, demonstrated his power, fire going on all, all over Mount Sinai. The people don't think they can come too close because they might die. But Moses is up there having the most incredible encounter with God. And, and he, he, he give, he's given by God the Ten Commandments and he's coming back down the mountain and he hears the, hears the sound of the people having a big party and he realizes they're, they're, having, um, they're, they're, they're worshiping the golden calf and God is grieved at this stage. He's almost sorry he's brought them out and, 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 and he threatens to really wipe them out and says, Moses, I'm going to start again. I'm going to start at you. And at this point, Exodus chapter 32, verse 14, that we have this one that all the Calvinists gasp at because it tells us that God relented or God kind of changed his mind. And we don't have time to get into the theology of all that today, but it would be good fun. And, but, what, 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 uh, but, but what we have to relinquish, at the very least in this passage, what we have to relinquish, I think, and I, and I am all on for the sovereignty of God, and I'll preach that to the day I die. But what we have to relinquish within this is some transactional, mechanical view of God that's only up there, kind of randomly engaged a bit now and again with the people that he's just telling what to do. Because what we see here in the heart of God is the window of a loving parent, a father who's incredibly affected by the cries of his children. That when his, his sons and daughters come to him and cry out for mercy on behalf of the ones that he loves, it presses a button deep in the heart of the Father. And I think that's why God shows us himself here. And God, we're led to believe, pulls back from what it suggests that he intends to do. And, and Moses says, God, you can't do this. Remember, it's your covenant to your people. Remember, what would the Egyptians say? And then we come to this part in chapter 33, and it tells us this. It says, God says, oh, sorry, let's read it, verse 7. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. And anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrance of their tents, watching <laughs> Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped each at the entrance to their tent. Get this. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. And then the Lord would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. And Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me, lead these people, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you're pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember, this nation is your people. And the Lord replied, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And then the Lord said to Moses, if your presence does 
does not go with us. Do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you're pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all of the people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. And then Moses said, show me your glory. I am staggered by this passage of scripture. I feel like, you know, sometimes you talk about in the presence of God, we're undone. If you've ever heard that phrase, it's like, wow, God, it's your presence. Well, I think that we have an example here of God being almost, if you like to use that term, undone. Because one of his sons gets it. Gets it like, like, like nobody's business. Because Moses says to God, God, I, I, know, I know you said you're, you're not going to wipe But God says, I know, I, okay, I'm not going to start again. I, I'm not going to do what I said I would do. But off you go into the promised land, but I'm not going with you. It's interesting, isn't it, that God seemed to have been prepared to give them the pro- promise without his presence. It seems that, that that's what he was going to do as we read this. And Moses says, no, God, no. If you don't go... We're not going. Your presence has to go with us. Your presence has to go with us because, God, you're the point. This is what it's always been about, God. Moses has grasped something of the heart of the Father. And God says, okay, I'll go with you. And Moses then, he doesn't leave it there. His prayer is bold and it's assertive and it's daring and it's adventurous. And he goes, God, I know you've said that you will go with us, but God, I'm going to go even further than that. And I'm going to say to you, I know you're holy. I know you're awesome. I know you've just come down on this mountain and fire. I know it's, it's, we should nearly be scared of you, such is your holiness. But God, I'm convinced that beyond all that deeds, beyond all of your power, that in you and in the very heart of your nature, God, you love us and you want to encounter us and so what I'm saying to you God if you don't go we're not leaving and I think at that moment in heaven I have this picture and it could be wrong that all the heaven all of the angels in heaven are like he's really he's really opened up the heart of God here I've got this impression that in heaven it's almost a greater hush than maybe it's ever been in the story so far as they realize one of God's sons have gripped his heart so, so deeply. (laughs) He's got it. And Moses knows almost that he's got God where he wants him. And so he goes even another little bit further and he says, okay then God, will you show me your glory? And I just wonder for you guys, as this incredible adventure goes in another chapter into this new building, I wonder if that's your prayer. Because God, there's going to be loads of decisions that we're going to have to make. And we're going to need loads of wisdom. And we're going to need loads of finance, maybe. We're going to need all of those things. And God, all those things are important. But God, if you don't go. If you don't go. If we don't practice your presence in such a way that you go with us then. Then we're not leaving. Do you know the interesting thing about, just as I finish, the interesting thing about the word presence in the Hebrew It's synonymous with the word face in the Hebrew. Jürgen Moltmann says the face of God in the the Bible is a symbol for God's commitment, the attention with which he looks at us, his special presence. 
Isn't it brilliant when God talks about his presence? He's not talking about some theoretical concept. He's not talking about some conceptual idea or some nice and tight kind of creed, as important as all those things are. Isn't it beautiful that when God talks about his presence in the Bible, he's just talking about his face. He's just talking about his face. Because the face reveals it all. And is it any wonder that then they prayed that the, the countenance of the Lord would shine upon us, that, his, that, his, that we would see his face? Annie is three and a wee bit now, but about six months ago she, she gets into our bed and we're trying our best to be good parents and put her back in, but it's not really working. And um, uh, so she was getting into her bed and for a period of time there, she got in, she got in the middle of it, snuggled all up and then I, I, I liked that for the first minute sort of thing and then realized that it was a busy day the next day and would turn round um, with my back to her so that I could try and get some sleep at, at which point I've only got like that much of the bed as you can imagine but it, and as I turned around like this she would do this wee thing she stopped doing it now thankfully but she would do this for a while she would just as soon as I got around thinking that she was over to sleep again she would just put her hand on my face like this and just feel his arm go over my face and she'd just pull it back like this <laughs> right back into the middle of her face and uh and I was thinking about this, I just wonder, maybe a wee bit more gently than Annie, I, I wonder is that what maybe the father has been doing in these 40 days? Has he just been like, you know, just putting his hands on her face and gently just bringing him right back and looking into his, that we would just learn how to look in his face. It's not, that, it's not rocket science, but it's just, we know ourselves too well, don't we? And here's the thing. As we finish, in Psalm 103, it tells us this, that the children of Israel were made, what was made known to the children of Israel was the deeds of God, but to Moses, the ways of God. The children of Israel got to see the deeds, the mighty acts, and they're amazing, and we long for more of them. But Moses got to know the ways of God. Husband and wife, other people get to see the Deeds, the acts of your partner. You get to know their ways. And so maybe in this new season, God's calling us not just to be content with his deeds, but drawing us right into his heart to see his face. And so as we finish, the good news is that this covenant is intimate and incredible as it is. Read it yourself with Moses. It actually was a covenant that was, that was going to be temporary. But in the New Testament, we're told in Jesus, God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's the covenant where one degree of glory only leads to another degree of glory, which only leads to another degree of glory. It's eternal. It's everlasting. It's a covenant that we're under. And uh, I just want to encourage you to continue to have conversation and encounter with the Father because that's what it's always been about. Let's pray. Father, thank you for, um, thank you for your, your love for us. Thank you that you're with us. Because thank you for all that you're doing in and through, Lord, your people here, Lord, this community of faith. 
thank you for the excitement of everything that's happening. Lord, we just want to say together that we lean into your ways. We lean into your ways, God. We want to go beyond just your deeds as, lo- as much as we long for them to know your heart. This is what you've always wanted. And so, God, we just want to say, without your presence, we don't want the promise because the promise is only fully fulfilled when the vision is Jesus and when we see your face. And so, Lord, we commit ourselves to you afresh in Jesus' name. Amen.